Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, uh, Craig, for leading us uh, in prayer. Uh, well, as I said before, Happy New Year. And for those whom I missed last week, Merry Christmas. Can I ask for a show of hands as to whose Christmas decorations are already down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ours came down uh, last Monday. We, we were ruthless. Um, uh, and there's uh, actually diminishing evidence that Christmas ever happened at our place. Aside, of course, from the, the, the gifts that the kids have enjoyed playing with, um, but the point is that, that Christmas comes and goes, doesn't it? And, and the new year comes and goes. Uh, it's already 2021, and, and Christmas, sorry, Christmas, and then New Year's Eve, and then New Year's Day has, has already come, and, and it's already gone. And it's around this time that people start coming down from their holiday high, uh, I'm not sure whether that's you or not. Um, but uh, there may have been a little bit of that f- for Joseph and Mary, that first Christmas. Um, but whereas for us, Christmas sort of tends to come and, and go, the Christmas story actually, for Joseph and Mary, it continues. They're living it. And so, uh, which is why we're actually going to be continuing our series, uh, Heaven on Earth. It's a Christmas series. We've been continuing it uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, because today, of course, um, Joseph and Mary take baby Jesus to the temple to be consecrated, to be dedicated to the Lord. And this is still very much a part of Christmas and, and the meaning behind Christmas. Uh, so far, if you've been tracking the story in Luke's Gospel, um, the, the story's been uh, followed uh, um, Joseph and Mary and Zachariah and Elizabeth, hasn't it? Uh, but today, we're going to meet two people, uh, first Simeon and then Anna, who were not actually directly involved in the, in the pre-birth or the birth scenes of either John or, or Jesus, but who themselves were actually really waiting for the birth of Jesus. In Simeon's case, the Holy Spirit had actually revealed to him that he wouldn't die until he saw the Lord's Messiah. And so um, the Spirit led him to the temple on that particular day, at that particular time, for we were told, we are told, that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel in verse 25. And then later in verse 38, we're told that Anna was waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Here we have two godly, faithful Israelites who were waiting for their promised Messiah. Now, as we were reading, that, that phrase, the consolation of Israel, may have stood out. It's a little bit of an odd phrase, isn't it? But it actually comes from the prophet Isaiah, who promises this time of uh, renewed uh, hope and renewed peace and comfort after exile, ultimately in the coming of the Messiah. And so Simeon awaits for this consolation of Israel and Anna for this redemption of Jerusalem. And so as Simeon, has he held that baby, as he held baby Jesus in his arms that day, time would have stood still, the, the world would have ceased to turn and, and he praises God and, and he, says, he says this. Now these are, these are some pretty profound words in verses 29 to 32. He praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Uh, now, actually, uh, the, these few lines here are actually also thought to be a song 
We've encountered a few songs, haven't we, so far in Luke's Gospel. We encountered Mary's song back in chapter 1, the Magnificat, and uh, Zachariah's song, the Benedictus. And this song here is actually also named after its first words in its Latin translation. It's known as Nunc Dimittis. Now, does anyone know what Nunc Dimittis in Latin means? Do we have any Latin scholars with us? Nunc Dimittis. You can, pro- you can probably have a guess, by the way, based on, based on uh, some of the words here. Does anyone know? Nunc Dimittis. Now dismiss. There you go. Did anyone get that right? Now dismiss. And so of all the things that uh, a person could say as they hold a baby in their arms, Simeon begins actually by speaking of death. His death. Now that he'd lived to see this, his, his, his ultimate hope. See, the comfort that this baby would bring Israel brought him comfort and peace such that he was ready to die. My grandmother died uh, several years ago now in 2014 and uh, uh, Miriam and I got to visit her just in the days uh, leading up to her passing away and some of her uh, final words uh, to me were, I once was blind but now I see. It's all coming together now like a jigsaw. Now, she was a strong Christian woman all of her life. But clearly, toward the end, God gave her this perspective on life and death and eternal life that meant that she was ready to go. In fact, that she wanted to go. There's a little bit of that happening with Simeon. Now, we never hear of Simeon again. Never hear of him again. Uh, we may assume that perhaps shortly after this he, he died quietly, peacefully in his sleep. We're not sure, but we, we, it's probably safe to assume something like that happened. But for now, Simeon has more, because Simeon has more to sing of here. For Jesus meant more than simply the consolation of Israel. He would mean as much to the Gentiles, that is to the non-Jews, as he would to the Jews, that's to Israel. He would be the glory of Israel. He would be the glory of Israel, that is he would be the fulfilment of all that Israel hoped for. He would also be a light for revelation to the Gentiles. That is in Jesus, God's salvation is for all people, both God's Old Testament people and for Gentiles. And his being alike, by the way, to the Gentiles doesn't diminish his glory, doesn't minimise his glory. It actually fulfils it. Do you remember what God promised Abraham way back in Genesis? That this, for all people on earth, will be blessed through you. And so Simeon actually sings here of what Luke and Acts will go on to trace. That's the spread of the gospel. We actually covered a fair portion of Acts last year and we're going to finish it off this year. But remember, as as we trace the the spread of the gospel from Jerusalem and then to to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, actually, Simeon actually sings of that here. He anticipates it. But it's not all good news. I'm not sure if you picked it up or not in the reading, but it's not all good news. Because in verse 34 there, Simeon blessed them and he said to Mary, this child, he says, is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel 
and it'll be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will, be, will pierce your own soul too. It's not all good news for everyone in Israel and actually it's not all good news for Mary either. Falling and rising here probably um, uh, refers to the division in Israel that's going to take place between those who accept Jesus and those who reject Jesus. Jesus will be spoken against. And as he is spoken against, it's going to expose people's minds and people's hearts ultimately toward God. We come across that several times in, in the parables in Luke's Gospel. And, and Luke pitches it actually throughout his Gospel and even in Acts. And so Simeon does not only speak of salvation, he actually also speaks of suffering. Yes, this child will bring salvation, but he also hints here that it would cost him to bring it. It would cost him to bring it. And not only will it cost him, but it'll cost his mother. A sword will pierce Mary's own soul too. Imagine taking a newborn in your arms and looking at the mother in her eyes and saying, this child's going to break you. In her song, uh, Mary sings, doesn't she, of of how future generations will call her blessed. But here, actually, she learns that the future is also going to mean suffering. And Mary would only have understood all that this meant as she stood at the foot of the cross. Well, Simeon exits the scene and and we never hear of him again, as I said, and Anna, a prophetess, enters the scene and we're told in her case, actually, that she was very old. Now, there's a little ambiguity here as to her age. The the NIV, which uh, we we had read for us by Ethan, uh, had had 84 there and and she could well have been 84, but the Greek is a little ambiguous. That is, she could have been 84 or she could have been widowed for 84 years. And so if she had been widowed for 84 years, 84 plus the seven years of marriage, 91, plus 14, which is about the average age a girl would have got married back then, that would make Anna something around 105, 104, 105. She's she's very old and we're told that she never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and, and praying. And then in verse 38, she, she comes up to Joseph and to Mary and she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna had been waiting for Jesus. And we assume others were too. Anna had been waiting for Jesus and clearly for both Simeon and Anna, Jesus was worth waiting for. They'd been waiting for some time, but he was worth waiting for. And friends, as we pivot now to this next scene, we're going to think about why Jesus was worth waiting for. Now, you're probably uh, very familiar with this next scene uh, because it is the only account that we have of Jesus' childhood in the entire Bible, his, his boyhood, after birth, pre his public ministry. The only account that we have in the Bible. And actually, other stories appear, they appear later in, in later writings. 
um, but, but they're fiction. Okay, let's just be clear, they're, they're fiction. For example, the infancy gospel of Thomas depicts Jesus as this wonder boy um, who, who reveals the mysteries of the alphabet to his teachers um, and, and, and stuns his family and his playmates with miracles that are actually a little bit more like tricks. But we don't read anything like that here, actually. The family travelled to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and we read in verse 43, after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, if you're a parent, your heart rate has probably gone up. Maybe because you've been in this exact situation. Perhaps just, just the thought of it stresses you out. They'd mistakenly assume that sort of Jesus was with his extended family or, his, or his, perhaps, his, perhaps his friends or perhaps his neighbours who were making that same journey. Uh, one of my favourite childhood movies, uh, I'm sure some of you may be familiar with this, one of my favourite childhood movies, which I have brought out again and introduced to my kids, Home Alone. Familiar with Home Alone? It's timeless, isn't it? Um, I used to dream of, of living the adventures of Kevin McAllister, uh, who would always find a way to defend himself against bumbling burglars, Marv and, and Harry. Um, actually, I think in his mind, attack was the best form of defence because there were some really painful moments um, in, in, in those movies. But anyway, his parents, uh, Peter and Kate McAllister, always, they always return home and Kevin's always safe and sound. Okay? Uh, he'd gone up to mischief, but he's always safe and sound. Um, when Joseph and Mary eventually find Jesus, they find Jesus in the temple courts, actually at home but not home alone. Actually, Jesus, uh, Jerusalem's population at the time might have been 70,000 to 80,000, so he would have been hard to find. But they do eventually, sitting among the teachers, asking and answering questions. Asking and answering questions. Children are not known, generally, for asking and answering questions. They're known for asking questions. Recently, my daughter had her pre-prep interview with the deputy and a 2021 uh, prep teacher and they made the mistake of asking her if she had any questions. <laughs> I shook my head. I, um, and, uh, and when she paused for breath, 15 minutes later, they sort of sensed uh, a moment to sort of wind the conversation down. But you could tell her, her eyes just sort of sprung into action. She's searching for the room, room for, for, for material, you know, to be asking questions. But they love asking questions. But here Jesus asks questions and he answers them. And so in verse 47, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Jesus is showing wisdom beyond his years. And his parents too, they, they were astonished. But they are astonished as to how Jesus could do this to them. Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And if you didn't pick it up in our Bible reading, here is the, here, here is the key verse. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
Now, um, these are actually Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Luke. First words in the Gospel of Luke. And it's no accident that Jesus' first words in the Gospel of Luke are a claim to divinity. See, as a young boy, Jesus had come to understand that he had this unique relationship with God, one far deeper, one far more profound than any, had, uh, than any that had ever been known before. Namely, God was his father. Now, to catch the idea of how radical this would have been, we have to understand that in the entire Old Testament, in all 39 books of the Old Testament, God is only referred to as father 14 times. And in those 14 times, rather impersonally, that is, in those 14 times, references, Father is always used in reference to the nation of Israel, never to individuals. Of course, Abraham is, uh, uh, Abraham's, pardon, um, God is referred to as Abraham's father, but Abraham doesn't speak to God as my father. But when Jesus comes on the scene, he addresses God as his father, and he never uses any other term. That is, in his prayers, he always addresses God as Father. This is a watershed moment for the 12-year-old Jesus. A watershed moment. And yet some writers claim that this temple account here is sort of incidental to the gospel. And so this is what one author writes. One author writes, The story of finding the boy Jesus in the temple is in reality an independent unit which does not depend on anything that proceeds in the narrative and which could be dropped without any great loss to the narrative. But friends, in including this story, Luke has established, has introduced, has established two really important truths. First, Jesus is God's son. And second, Jesus is the authoritative interpreter of Scripture. He's the authoritative interpreter of Scripture. And here's what all that means for us. You ready? Here is why Jesus was worth waiting for. Because Jesus is the one who would reveal... God's will and God's way to us and become our brother so that God might become our father too. Jesus is the one who would reveal God's will and God's way to us and become our brother so that God might become our father too. Stay with me. Come with me if you have your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 2. If not, it's up here on the screen. Because in Hebrews chapter 2 we read this. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who were made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. That's us. Brothers and sisters. That's the whole reason why God had to become one of us. It's the whole reason behind Christmas. Now we're, gonna, we're actually going to head into Hebrews 2 in a little more detail in a fortnight's time. But for the moment, 
just marvel at this, that Jesus identifies with us as, as brother and sister. Stay with me and come with me to Galatians 4 this time. When we read this in Galatians 4, but when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. The spirit who calls out Abba, Father. This is the whole reason why Jesus was, was worth waiting for. Is Jesus has become our brother so that we, so that God may become our father too. And friends, if Jesus was worth waiting for the first time, then he's worth waiting for the second time. Because he does. He, he, he promises to come again. This time to raise us to, to immortality. Jesus is the one worth waiting for. And in the meantime, living for. So here's my question for you this evening for you to reflect on this evening, reflect on this week, reflect on this year. What will living for Jesus in 2021 look like for you? What will living for Jesus in 2021 look like for you? It's not enough to suggest a few New Year's resolutions to yourself, although it doesn't appear that we're in any danger of doing that. It's not enough to do that. Because after all, Christianity is not, not ultimately religion. It's, it's a relationship. It's not, about, it's not about doing more. It's not about being better. It's about coming to the Father through Jesus the Son. And so this year, how will you attend to your relationship with your brother, Jesus Christ, your Saviour and Lord, and your Heavenly Father? How will you attend to your relationship. And it would be remiss of me at this point if I didn't encourage you in the basic Christian disciplines of Bible reading and prayer. There are no more effective or more efficient ways of relating to God. And in fact, there are ways that God is intended for us to relate to him. So I'd encourage you uh, to, to consider how to apply this to, to your own Self, but also I'd encourage you to be encouraging one another in this. So I know that it's a little odd to come to someone, uh, but it's, it's less odd, by the way, if it's in the context of a relationship. But it is a little odd to come to someone and say, look, how, how, how's your Bible reading going? Or, or, or how's your prayer life going? What, what's God been teaching you? I know that it's a little odd, okay? And for some of us, for, for introverts particularly, coming up, but that's the sort of church culture that the New Testament pitches. Right? We're in this together. We don't know, do we, what 2021 will bring, but we know what in Jesus God has brought. Actually, the divine purpose is seen in the name. Jesus means saviour, and that is both a claim and a promise. Two chapters now into Luke. 
We know what to expect from Jesus. The stage is set, isn't it, for the gospel story. But Jesus must now live that gospel story. I'm going to close by praying a hymn uh, written by Francis Havigal uh, in 1874. And actually it's a poem that she originally wrote on the back of her uh, sort of New Year's cards that she wrote to her friends, okay? So um, uh, I'll pray this prayer for us and, uh, and I think it's a good prayer to be praying as, as we face this next year. So please pray with me. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be in working or in waiting another year with thee. Another year of leaning upon thy loving breast, another year of trusting of quiet, happy rest. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace, another year of gladness in the shining of thy face. Another year of progress, another year of praise, another year of proving thy presence all the days. Another year of service, of witness for thy love, another year of training for holier work above. Another year is dawning. Dear Father, let it be. On earth or else in heaven, another year for thee. Amen.